Well, figure I better get this over with. Merry Christmas and stuff. Are you feeling it? Are you in the mood? <sighs> Has it struck you yet? Is it festive and happy and shit like that? Nah. Hasn't hit me yet. I'm not in the mood. Not quite there. I don't know. It's uh it's only a couple days to go. Better get with the program, but uh <laughs> for whatever reason, yeah, just ain't happening. Anyhow. I hope you are uh, not in the same boat. Hope you are feeling good. Hope you are uh, enjoying what is uh, potentially a vacation, potentially some time off from work. I don't know. I'm not sure. I know there's some people that don't have that. I know there are some that do. I am, in fact, uh, not working right now, taking the time off, trying to enjoy it, you know, trying. Uh, because come January 3rd, I, I, in fact, am starting a new gig, you know, you know, starting a new gig, an opportunity presented itself. It seemed very interesting, uh, seemed exciting, seems exciting. Yeah. I'm uh, so, you know, through the whole process and by the way, that process took like a month, just, uh, just FYI, the days of like, you know, I think the days of, you know, you know, a guy and that guy goes, look, I need you on this job. Just tell me you'll do it. Like those days don't exist. They've never existed for me. I don't know if they existed for anybody else. They never did for me where, you know, somebody who's willing to pay a bunch of money and, and knows that you're the guy for the job or the girl for the job for that matter. I don't know. Fuck it. Well, I'm a guy. So it'd be the guy for the job. Or they just say, you know, I need you on this buddy. I need you to help us get there. Well, that, that shit never happened to me. I, I actually did do that for, uh, two people that I know of where I just said, look, there's no interview. <laughs> do you want the, the, the job is yours. If you want it, do you want it? Yes. Okay, great. I've never had that happen. And the, uh, I, I don't know if those days exist anymore. My point is, this is a long interview process. Took uh, over a month, I would say. Over a month with uh, about six six or seven interviews. I can't remember which. It was a lot. Uh, nonetheless, I am going to be working on the Star Trek brand, managing the Star Trek brand, I should say, for a company called Recur. And it's the NFT world, the NFT space. New and exciting. It's the cutting edge of technology. It's not tabletop. I know that for sure. And it's funny uh, because, you know, here, here's the other thing I don't, I, I can never figure out about people. See, I'm, I, I don't know if it's because I was raised this way. Cause I don't know if I was or not to be totally fair. Cause I never had, I, I mean, I guess I was raised to be respectful. And here's an example. When I was a kid, if I ever went over a friend's house, I never went into their refrigerator. That was just, I felt like that was off limits. I, I didn't go roaming around the house unattended. Uh, if I went over to a friend's house, I went, I, whatever room they were in, I was in. Maybe with the exception of the bathroom. Uh, but I didn't go roaming around the house. I didn't go into the refrigerators. I didn't go uh, in inappropriate places. And I don't really remember saying inappropriate things to people as I was growing up. But, you know, I could have. I don't know. As I got older, I'm, I'm not sure. But then I think as you cross over, I, I think, you know, as a kid, you should be respectful. As a teenager, you're probably going to do some dumb shit because that's what your mind tells you to do. 
And then as you get, you know, out of your 20s, because they'll still think you're a fucking ridiculous idiot in your 20s. As you get into your 30s and your 40s and you become an adult and you become a rational human being, hopefully, I think you just kind of get the the impression that you should like put a governor on yourself and not say stupid shit to people. Here's an example. So the other day, I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty excited about this new role. It's, it's working on Star Trek, which I've always wanted to do for my uh, entire adult life. Always wanted to make a game, a Star Trek game when I was at Upper Deck and uh, we could never get the license. Uh, that was always one that kind of got away from me. Star Wars, obviously another one you had no shit. However, Star Trek was always a big one because I felt like it was attainable and we couldn't attain it. That's the part that, that got under my skin. Regardless, like I said, it's also the NFT space. If you don't know what an NFT is, look it up. It's called a non-fungible token. Check them out. Look them up. A lot of money to be made on NFTs. A lot of money is being made on NFTs. So, you know, I posted something on, on the line about, hey, you know, this is what I'll be doing, blah, blah, blah. Boom. Move on. Well, somebody that I know, and I actually know this person, decided to, un- uh, like, unsolicited hit me up and and tell me how much of a scam nfts are and how it's ruining the world apparently and now that there's licensed nfts which i will be working on that's even a bigger scam and i just i i just you know fucking replied and i told them yeah i mean just stay in your little tiny 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 world your little analog tiny bubble of a world because you're fucking scared to get out of it. You're scared to break out of your little fucking comfort zone, your little tiny, 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 tiny world that you live in, you know, and, and it's, it's digital. It's going to ruin everything. That's, it's just a fucking gross thing. Not only is it a stupid attitude to have, but it's really fucking wrong to just unsolicited tell that to someone who just announced they're working on the thing you think sucks. So, to that fella, and that fella knows who he is, go fuck yourself. I mean, go fuck yourself in your tiny, tiny space, in your tiny, teeny, tiny world, in your little analog tabletop world. Go fuck yourself in it. Really. It's small enough. You should be able to find what you need to make that happen. Seriously, man. Such a dick move. And You know, I don't know if it's because maybe I put an air out there that like, hey, I'm cool. I can, you know, we're cool like that. If we talk, guess what? We are not cool like that. (laughs) You and I are not cool like that. Not at all. Don't fucking talk to me. (laughs) That's how cool I am. Don't fucking talk to me unless I talk to you first. Jesus. Yeah, well, whatever. Merry Christmas, right? (laughs) Well, I'm I'm hoping to get in the mood and uh I'm I'm hoping that this show helps you get in the mood too. Because on this uh final episode of 2021 by the way. This is the final Brenzor's dead of 2021 because I'm not doing any more between now and the end of the year. I am going to try to take some time off. Uh Tom's back and we're uh you know, we got a lot of uh a lot of things to talk about one of which is you know how we did all that Halloween horror film stuff? Well, fucking A, if there isn't enough horror films to go around for Christmas. And when I was a kid, the the Ding Dong Daddy horror film for Christmas time, not just in general, but for Christmas time specifically, was called Silent Night 
Deadly Night, right? You got it. Silent Night, Deadly Night. You're probably in your head going, I think I've heard of that, but it's like really old. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's really old. I was like, I think it came out in 1982 or something like that. It's really old. I was just a young 10-year-old when that movie came out. However, I never saw it. And I, I got to talking to Tom and I said, we should do one of these uh, Christmas horror. Everybody does like, you know, happy horror or not happy horror, excuse me. You know, happy Christmas time. What'd you get when you were a kid? Blah, okay, well, everybody's done that show. Not everybody's done a Christmas horror show. So um, this is me and Tom talking about Silent Night, Deadly Night on Brenzor's Dead. Take two, everybody. <laughs> so. Hey, Tom. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Jason. I'm doing well, thank you. So glad to be back with you here on Brenzor's Dead. <laughs> well, Brenzor feels like he is about to die because you and I just... Well, what the audience doesn't know is uh, Tom and Jason just did 45 minutes of a show that just got lost. And that 45 minutes was fucking gold. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. I know we broke the internet, Jason, when we released our Halloween movie reviews. Those were like nine hours, 15 hours, 30 hours, however long they were. I think the 45 the minutes that you and I just recorded, though, were the greatest 45 minutes in the history of <laughs> podcasting. And yet they've been lost to the ether. Alas. It's lost forever. I, I'll tell you what, though. You know what I have? I am able to, because, you know, I do have backups, whatever, but for whatever reason, I just, I decided we're going to start this over. We're going to do it again. We're going to do it again for everybody. That's how much we love the audience. You know, we're just going to do it again. We're not going to like pick up from where we left off. No, we're going to do it again. But you know what I am going to do as a treat? I have a detailed transcript of our first 45 minutes. A detailed transcript. And uh, I think I'm going to upload it for people to see. I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let people, if they want to see, they can see that 45 minutes. And we'll just go from there. Put put that behind a paywall on Patreon or something. People just <laughs> on Patreon. For that quality of content right there. <laughs> and you know, that's Jason, not- you, you said we're doing this for the fans, going back, beginning from scratch. But there's no better movie that I'd rather dive back into from the very top than the movie that we're discussing today. So... You know, when, when Tom and I did our Halloween uh, extravaganza, Halloween frenzy, whatever, whatever you want to call it, uh, the, the internet shut down. It was, it, was just, it was a disaster for the internet. It was great for us. It was a disaster for the internet. It was wonderful for the show. All-time records. All-time uh, records. I had a lot of people, a, a lot of people giving me like, you know, comments and feedback and, and whatever on, on all of those shows that we did. And I think there were quite a few of them because I think there were like six because of all the six only. Anyhow, somebody came up with the idea. And again, not my idea to be totally fair, but somebody came up with the idea. They said, look, I really, really loved your Halloween, you know, stuff. And it would be great with Christmas around the corner if you could do kind of a Christmas horror film show on Brenzor's Dead. And I thought, you know, for a minute I was like, I don't know. I mean, Christmas, it's just not, it doesn't, it, it didn't work for me. I was like, ah, yeah, man. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, well, there's, there are a lot of Christmas, you know, horror movies out there. I mean, there's, there's, there's not like one or two. There's a good number of them. There, there's a lot available. Yeah. Krampus, right. 
which was a decent film. Not really a horror film. It was just more of a weird story. Um, there's one called The Christmas Horror Story, I think, uh, even starring the great William Shatner, the astronaut. Um, I saw that on uh, Hallmark uh, the other night. It's a, it's actually, Hallmark I've seen the movie. It's classic. decent. It's an interesting movie. It's an interesting one. Uh, but, you know, one kept coming to mind as, you know, as I kept thinking about it, thinking about it, one movie kept coming to mind. And <laughs> as I've told you before, Tom, <laughs> there were there were three movies when I was a kid. Yeah, I feel so great telling the story a second time. Um, please make sure your reaction seems genuine. <laughs> uh, when I was a kid, there were three movies growing up that were not available to watch in my house. And I don't mean to say that everything outside of these three movies was okay to watch. I just mean in terms of like, if I were to ask just on like Lark, Hey, is it okay if I watch this one, please, please, please. It was always going to be met with a no. And I was probably going to be punished just for asking, you know? So I knew that these three films were just, don't even bother. Don't even try. Don't even, there's no good time that you're ever going to be able to watch them. One of them was called pray for death. Okay. Pray for death is an eighties ninja movie. Okay. It's not that big of a deal, but the title had pray for death. So my mom was like, fuck out of here. <laughs> Ain't happening. You're not going to see it. I don't care. Uh, the second one was faces of death. Now again, faces of death. I feel like I've been, I've done this before. Uh, faces of death for people who don't know, um, you know, years ago we didn't have our little handy dandy telephone machines in our pockets. We didn't have, uh, Google. We didn't have any of that crap. We had a VHS. That's all we had. And we had a video store and some genius took a, uh, made a, made a movie called faces of death, which is basically a compilation of real news footage, home video footage, footage that people took, however they took it probably armed with one of those shoulder cannon home video recorder machines. You know what I mean? Uh, the kind Marty McFly had. So somebody come, you know, compiled all these uh, pieces of footage that usually showed people dying or some tragedy or some disaster. It was, but it was like graphic and, you know, shocking at the time. Unfor- you know, sadly today it's probably tame. <laughs> I hate to mm-hmm. say it. Mm-hmm. It's probably tame compared to what is just even on like the regular news today. Uh, no, that's not true, but it's, it's on the level of like, you know, nine 11 style footage. It's, it's very, very shocking and very, very, you know, real. That was the second movie that I wasn't able to watch. The and third one, Jason, what, the, yeah. the third one, I cannot believe what it was. National Lampoon's <laughs> Christmas vacation. When you told me that 40 minutes ago, I was blown away. <laughs> Away. <laughs> that was the third movie that was banned from your household. The third movie was actually Halloween four because my mom <laughs> knew as I found out later in life, how bad it sucked. <laughs> and she didn't want to expose me to that. Uh, it was not in fact, Halloween four and it was not Christmas vacation. Um, it was. Are, so let me ask you, Tom, are we going to go back and like also do your timeline error just for the second time around? No, no, that doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. 
that doesn't exist anymore. There will be no record unless people pay for it on the Patreon to read the transcript of me right. suggesting that uh, <laughs> that one of the inspirations for the opening of this film was uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Only for so, you to correct me and remind me that National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation came out like five or six years after this after. movie. To which then I jokingly said that, oh, well, then maybe this film was the inspiration for National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I think but you're no, spot we, on on that one. I think you're spot on. Because Christmas be Vacation is, in fact, uh, a horror film in its own right. Um, anyhow, the third movie on my list that I was not allowed to see was, in fact, called Silent Night, Deadly Night. And uh, that is what we have watched to prepare for this particular show because now I'm a man, I'm an adult. I can make my own decisions. And, uh, the decision I came up with is I should have in fact continued to listen to my mom on this one because this movie is so bad. It is, (laughs) it is awful. There's nothing redeemable about it in any way, shape or form. It is one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) It is terrible. It is. It's not good. It's not scary. It's not culty. It's not quirky. It's not funny. It's not. Uh, it's not filmed well. Uh, don't even get me started on the music, which we will touch on. But everything about it sucks, and it's bad. <laughs> you know. It's, yeah. It's, that's all I could say. Uh, show's over. There you go. There, <laughs> there it is. Last show of twenty twenty one. Right it take there. Us Forty minutes earlier to say just what you said there. I know. <laughs> you're right. I know. Show's over. This film was so ridiculous. Uh, I'm glad though. I'm glad because neither Jason uh, nor I had ever seen this film. So when Jason reached out about doing a, a Christmas themed podcast, uh, horror movie podcast, I was expecting it to be something along the lines of like Black Christmas or some of the other Christmas classics. But when Jason said Silent Night, Deadly Night, I said, oh, yes, let's do that. Because this is one of those films that I remember distinctly seeing as a child at the video rental store. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. when you go to a bookstore, all the books are lined up so that you see their spines and you pull a book from the, the shelf based on its title to learn more. At a video store, though, they really want to draw you in. And so what they would do is they would have you look at the cover, the box art of every single individual film on the shelf. So for a film to catch someone's eye and get someone to reach up to that shelf, pull it down, look at the description on the back of the box and potentially use their $1.99 or $3.99 or whatever a video rental was back in the day. Uh, it needed to have a really captivating box art. And this is one that stood out to me from the moment I saw it when I was a child. It's that image of a Santa Claus or at least a killer dressed in a Santa suit uh, coming out of or climbing down a chimney. It always looked to me like he was climbing out and in his hand uh, is a an axe. Uh, and it just looked so creepy and so weird. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm amazed that I'd gone this long without watching that this quote unquote horror classic. Uh, so I was glad when you suggested that this is the film that we do for uh, for this year's uh, Christmas horror extravaganza. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was a terrible idea. <laughs> I mean, it was a terrible, <laughs> terrible idea. It should have never happened. Um, so just, you know, I don't even know where to begin on this one other than there's, you know, when I watched it for the first time and uh, I didn't even have like a sense of, oh my gosh, I'm excited because I've never seen it. Uh, you know, 
from the opening credits, from the very opening credits, it was very clear to me that this movie was made by absolutely no one important who had all, they all had bad ideas and they got bad actors and they're bad producers and bad directors and, and everything uh, in, in terms of who was involved in this movie is bad. There's nothing redeeming about any of them. It is a who's who list of nobodies in Hollywood. I mean, there's nobody worth a damn in this entire film with. So we've already uncovered this, so I'm not going to pretend like we didn't. Uh, <laughs> there are, I think by my count, three people in this entire between the actors and the production crew, there are three names. No, not, no, not names faces. I recognized. So there was the store owner, right? Who we determined was, and and this is the, the type of star power I'm talking about here. Uh, this guy is one of the stars of this film. The only other thing I have ever seen this man in was weird. He, he played Gary's father in the original, I, well, I guess there was a TV show, in the theatrical release from the 80s of Weird Science. He was Gary's dad. That is like one of the main stars of this film, right? The most recognizable person ever in this film was Gary's father from Weird Science. The second one I noticed was there's a, a mother in the beginning of the movie. Uh, she is apparently now, we've already done the research, Uh she was the co-pilot, if you will, um, of the female Lamborghini crew from the Cannonball Run. So there was Adrian Barbeau and the other one. Well, this is the other one. <laughs> and, and then the old man Peabody from Back to the Future. Those are the three people I recognized in this entire film. That's it. Nobody. Everybody, everybody else sucks. <laughs> Everybody else except for the star of Halloween 4, the oh, nurse who screams when her partner gets a thumb uh, in the forehead. Uh, Mrs. Randall uh, is in this uh, in this movie. That's her character's name. She's Mr. Sims' assistant, I guess. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what role she Love has. Her. A lot of characters are introduced without any sort of like backstory or, or understanding of who they are. Uh, but uh, yes, she stood out to me right away when I saw her as the uh, like the general manager, assistant manager of the uh, toy store. I was like, oh my gosh, that's the nurse from Halloween 4 who screams so loud when her partner gets a, a thumb uh, right to the forehead. So she I, is in this as well. So a, a list of luminaries a mile long. And, and a woman who is a very unattractive version of Ruth Buzzy, mind you. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read you the cast of of characters in this movie because I just want everyone to know what I'm working with here. Okay, starring, this is the first name, Lillian Chauvin. Okay, that's the first name on the list. Just for clarification. Gilmer McCormick. Gilmer McCormick, number two. Tony Nero, number three. All famous, right? Well, and, and, and introducing Robert Brian Wilson as Billy. <laughs> this, these, this Charles Deercop, Linnea Quigley. Yeah, we know her. Randy Stumpf, Britt Leach, Tara Buckman, and Will Hare as Grandpa. I mean, the, A. Madeline Smith, H. E. D. Redford, Danny Wagner, Jonathan Best, Amy Stuvestant, and Nancy Borgen clicked. I mean. The, Casting, Stansy Stokes. Good job, you're fired. 
music composed and performed by Perry Botkin. I mean, this is this is a who's who's list of idiots. There's nobody in this movie that makes any sense. Period. This film had the potential to launch so many careers. Sadly, <laughs> it did it's, not. Especially Mandy Botkin. I mean, <laughs> come on. And what's interesting too, a moment ago when you said this is the cast of characters, uh, those aren't the characters' names, uh, just to clarify for the, the audience at home. But yeah, you're right. Those are the actors. So not only are the actors unknown, but even the characters are unknown too. So many characters come in and out of this film without even getting like a name, without us really understanding who they are or why they're here or why they're introduced. Oh, this film, I, I mentioned it uh to Jason earlier, this is one of those films that uh, I feel like it had the potential to potentially be a, a B-level, schlocky, horror movie classic deserving of that title. Uh, but there yeah. were so many bad decisions in this film from some of the uh, choices with the script to some of the editing choices to some of the directing choices that, yes, this movie is a mess. And I can understand now why. I never picked it up off the shelves when I was younger and brought it home to watch one like Jason. I probably wouldn't have been allowed to watch that movie until I was a teenager or out of the house or who knows how old. Uh, but second, I think in some ways when I was a, a, a kid or like a young teenager judging horror movie franchises, I would look at the video store rental shelf and see how many installments there were of a film. So if I'd see five Halloween movies and I'd see four, you know, Friday the 13th and I'd see, you know, five uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, I'd say, oh, OK, so this has got to be a classic. This has got to be good. Look at all these installments. I got to check this out. And while the original Silent Night, Deadly Night really stands out to me uh, because of its box art. Uh, it was one that I never actually watched, probably for that very reason. It looked like it it didn't have much success, and I can understand why uh, now having seen the film. Although, Jason, you and I discovered in a bit of interesting research that this movie actually had multiple installments afterwards, yeah. multiple sequels, uh, a remake or a soft reboot, another remake that's coming out in 2022. So... Uh, yeah, this is something that I guess we're a little bit late to the Silent uh, Night, Deadly Night party. <laughs> uh, and it's a party we should have never shown up to. Okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a bunch of sequels, but I mean, if you look at them, I watched the trailers for them, and it's like the standard shitty, dumb. It, it's it's like it's like if they made a sequel to the movie Chopping Mall. Like Chopping Mall Two, the new mall. It's 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 just dumb, right? There's no there's no meaning to it. There's no you know Halloween Two. Clearly, uh, there was a purpose to that movie being made. Even Hellraiser Two or the or the Chucky movies, they're fun. They're you know there's something about them. There's something charismatic about them. There's something endearing about them. There's none of that here. There's no cult quality where people you know kind of look at this like they do the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Or any of that where, you know, every Christmas Eve, it's become a tradition to watch uh, Silent Night, Shitty Night. I mean, it's there's there's nothing to it. It's just garbage. It's, you know, I really am tolerant as it pertains to, and I, I won't even insult B-movies by calling this a B-movie. I, I just won't. I just, I can't. This Nothing. looks like it was made by a slow adult uh, that was... Uh, you know, being directed by a dog. I mean, it was just that it was terrible. It was unbelievably poor in so, on so many levels that I can't even begin to describe. 
this is a pretty bad but I'm gonna film. Try. However, fun fact, this movie came out on the exact same day as A Nightmare on Elm Street, and it outgrossed Nightmare on Elm Street for the 10 days that it was in theaters. Because uh, one of the things that Jason and I discovered is that this movie was actually banned. Uh, Mm -hmm. This movie was considered so tasteless at the time when it came out in 1984 to depict a beloved children's character like Santa Claus uh, as a uh, an axe-wielding, bloodthirsty lunatic was just in such poor taste. Yes, we know that everyone was trying to cash in on the uh, you know, ha- uh, hallow- or excuse me, holiday-themed uh, horror movies. There was, uh, you know, April Fool's Day. There was Mother's Day. There were all these cheesy ones that came in the wake of Halloween. Uh, and so you knew it was only a matter of time before something like Silent Night, Deadly Night was made. But the way that it was made, how gratuitous it was, how bloody it was, how tasteless it was, this was a film that uh, within six days of its launch, all advertising for the film had been pulled. And within about 10 days, uh, theaters just refused to continue to carry it because it had gotten such a bad reputation. So much so that the famous Gene Siskel actually took time on his <laughs> national show, him and Ebert, uh, reviewing movies to talk about this movie. When this came out, I would love to actually try to track down this original audio clip or video clip. Yeah, that'd be good. But what he did was he actually took that time and rather than reviewing the film, he just read off the list of all the producers in the film. And after saying each one's name, he said, shame on you. <laughs> and he would just repeated it. That was his whole review. <laughs> of this film uh so but but in some ways i bet you this movie made a killing no pun intended on vhs because it had so much hype at the time yeah one for for having you know such a reputation and then two for quote-unquote being banned and being too extreme for theaters so i bet this movie ended up making a killing and one wonders what would have happened i think we can clearly tell holding it up against Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street, that one is a really well-made classic horror film, and the other is Wes Craven's... Oh, no, excuse me, I've got that mixed up. (laughs) (laughs) Wes Craven's movie obviously stands the test of time. This film wouldn't, but you wonder what would have happened if this movie was outdrawing and making more money at the box office just in the first 10 days, the Nightmare on Elm Street, which released on the exact same day as this, you almost wonder what would those box office receipts have looked like? Is this a movie that might have uh, actually drawn more crowds to the theater than the original Nightmare on Elm Street? I guess we'll never know. Well, you know, it's just, it's also one of those movies where even though it was on the ban list in my house, I never, you know, I never had the urge to like, oh, I really, it, it's forbidden. It's taboo. Oh, I, I got to rebel and watch it. I actually never had the uh, urge to do so. Now, to be fair, I saw Pray for Death. Sorry, mom, it happened. Blame Joe Mergia. He was a dick. So uh, he, you know, he was, he was the troublemaker. Uh, he's probably dead now. Um, but there was, uh, there was no urge. You know, I ended up seeing faces of death at some point in my life. Eh, okay. You know, I saw it. It was, it was what I thought it was great. I never had the urge to see this and look, you know, I, I'm 49. I, st- I never saw it up until yesterday for the first time. So I never really, it was never even on my must see, uh, Halloween season films to kind of watch or get into it during the fall. It just never really caught my eye. I mean, 
I knew about it. I, I had the exact same experience you had with the, you know, seeing the VHS box of the video stores and it was very iconic. It always stood out. And I always, you know, thought to myself, Ooh, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't it be crazy to see that movie? But I just never felt the urge to really follow through. Whereas with Halloween or nightmare on Elm street or Friday the 13th or any of the other franchises that are worth a damn, um, I never felt the same way at all. Never. So, but that said, I think it was time, you know, because this is in fact what I would consider just on namesake alone, the ding dong daddy of all Christmas horror films. Okay. Just because it's the one that I think comes to people's mind when they're, they're thinking of the genre and they're thinking of like, oh, a scary movie at Christmas. I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, the yeah. Halloween comes to mind at Halloween, Silent Night, Deadly Night comes to mind. It's always top of mind for me. For, for a Christmas horror film. Now that I saw it, I could say I'm worse off for having seen it. <laughs> now, I guess we should just jump into why it's so good. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I told you, I had two pages of notes here because as I was watching this thing, I was taking feverish notes because I didn't want to miss a detail. And I'm not going to lie, at some point, I just, it, like, probably during somewhere in the, the horrible third act when I heard the word punish for, like, the 11,000th time, I started to, like, get, you know, a little whitewashed. And it was it just started to become, like, white noise into the background of my head. Yeah. Right. That said, if you if you start at the credits, which, you know, most people do, there's that, like, you know, it, it there, like you explained, there's a wreath, there's a little girl singing some... <laughs> Now, we touched on this a few minutes ago, but let's touch on it again because it is so important. It's such an important part of this film, I think. And it's such a distraction in this movie in particular. And in a lot of movies, you know, Christmas movies, there's not only is it a, are they Christmas theme, like you take, for example, Miracle on 34th Street, Christmas theme. It's Die a Wonderful Hard. Life, Christmas theme. Die Hard, Christmas theme. Sure, <laughs> Gremlins, Christmas theme. Uh, any Christmas movie has a Christmas theme to it. They also have something called Christmas music. <laughs> and in this movie, yeah, it's a Christmas film. Um, all the music seems to be homemade. There isn't a fucking Jingle Bells. There isn't a Silent Night. There isn't a Rudolph. There isn't a anything in this movie that is a recognizable Christmas tune. It's all made up. It's it's it all seems to be some sort of homegrown, hey, let's make up our own Christmas carols. And they are so bad. They are so bad. So, the you know, little boys will not get toys because they're bad. And coal comes at Christmas to boys that are bad. And Santa knows you're bad. And the adults like it because you know how to behave. Mm, Literally, that's how. Keep going. <laughs> I, I don't want to. I'm going to my these, toe and snap my finger. That's what these songs were like in this movie. It was unbelievable. Like you, they turn on the radio and like, oh, look, Christmas music. You don't hear jingle bells. You hear that horrible toys are coming, but not for you. <laughs> it's, I don't understand it. So, yeah, this this is one of those things that I think like we talked about, you know, with with Halloween being such a tremendous success that 
pretty much every studio out there just started to pour money into trying to make the next Halloween. I mean, yeah, Halloween was made on a budget for $325,000 and ended up yielding $47 million. Uh, so here a few years later, uh, you know, we see this studio putting money. Uh, they actually had almost three times the budget for Silent Night, Deadly Night than uh, Halloween had. But it's interesting in how the producers and the director decided to spend that money because to Jason's point, it seems like a great way to save money would be to use all of those classic Christmas songs that are in the public domain that have been right. around for no royalty years. Yeah, right. Nothing. And maybe, maybe you do some sort of like, I don't know, you play silent night, holy night on, on like a, uh, on like a, a creepy, like theremin or something like that, you know, put your own spin on it. But, <laughs> Oh gosh. Is that one of the songs right there? <laughs> Christmas fever. I mean, you're talking about Christmas fever. I mean, it's what? Yeah. I've never heard Christmas fever, uh, whatever. This is saying. this is what's so strange because yeah, to Jason's point, it's not just home homemade, homegrown music. <laughs> it was like commissioned like they went out and found composers <laughs> and songwriters to create these brand new christmas songs and they are all just it's so bizarre so strange my personal favorite the highlight <laughs> of this film for me uh comes at the midway point where we get like the quintessential 80s montage that's one thing that if this film did something right they did a perfect 80s montage but the it, music it that good. they set it to was actually it was a christmas song and I was like, wow, how have I never heard this song before? Because it was kind of like good. I could see this being an 80s Christmas song. And this was when I realized what Jason was just talking about, that, oh, my gosh, uh, these people paid to have all of these original Christmas songs written and composed just for this creepy, bloody horror movie. And, uh, yeah, during the montage, it's this song that's all about how the warm side of the door, <laughs> the fire's roasting. Oh, the socks Wait. are over the fireplace on the warm side of the door coming from the cold y'all and it's like wow this it, it, like i actually took the time to google that because right. it sounded so legitimate and i was wondering how as a man in his 30s who loves christmas and who always has christmas music playing 24 7 this time of year how i had not heard this warm side of the door song and when i googled it it's amazing because every hit that came up said warm side of the door and then right afterward in parentheses made for the original film silent night deadly night 1984 and it was like what? So if there's one redeeming thing, Jason, that comes out of this entire experience, I think it's that I don't think I'm adding Silent Night, Deadly Night to my rotation for yearly annual uh, Christmas movies to watch. But I may, I may just download uh, Warm Side of the Door and add that to my Christmas uh, annual tracks that I listen to, because that, that that's the one redeeming thing here. But you're right, such a strange way to spend the money that they had when they could have put in much more iconic, much more recognizable, yeah, for much free. less expensive uh, Christmas songs. It's, it's, like I said, it, it's distracting. It's so bad. It's, it's yeah. bizarre. It's just such a weird choice. And the thing that really pisses me off about it the most is somewhere during the recording session for some of these songs, you know, whoever did it like they were proud of their work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they were like, probably they finished like, yeah, that was great, man. Lay it down. Lay the track. Come on. That's our, that's going to be the sound of the movie. They were proud of this 
garbage. And that's what pisses me off even more. It's like someone like high fived over the completion of writing, composing, and sick composing, composing, and singing this song. You know, it's that's the part that upset me the most. Hey, it's good money if you can get it. I'll put this out there now. If any of your listeners want to pay me substantial amounts of money to write them an original Christmas song, I'll gladly give 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 give, give it a try. And maybe, just maybe, I can come up with something as ingenious as "Warm Side of the Door." Uh, <laughs> but you're right, Jason. You 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 take us back to the very beginning of the film, and as the credits are rolling, uh, and it's funny because in my notes too, I was jotting down notes as I was watching, and I wrote down lullaby question mark christmas song question mark because it's just the voice of this one solo young girl disembodied you're just seeing the black screen and we're zooming in on a wreath again another uh, sort of nod maybe in the very early stages to halloween which began with the zoom in on the uh, on the pumpkin and again we, we should state that the whole slogan the tagline for this film was you've survived halloween now try and survive christmas silent night deadly night and so uh, it, this is one of those things that you know it's really following in halloween's footsteps here but yeah you're right uh, you know they're zooming in on this on this wreath and there's this creepy girl singing but it took me out of the moment when i'm like what is she saying what are those lyrics? Like, why, why don't I recognize this song? And yes, it's another one of those totally commissioned out of the blue sort of songs of just this little girl singing uh, over the credits as they zoom in on a creepy wreath. Yeah, and, and this isn't one song in the movie. There's a few in this film that are just all brand new and they all suck. I mean, there, there's not, not a, there's not, look, I'm sorry, I'm not a fan of like behind the brown door, whatever the hell it was called. I don't know. Uh, None of them are good. None of them are good. They're all, they're bad and they suck. So, all right, let's just jump into the just fantastic story <laughs> of this, of this film. <laughs> uh, so the movie starts, you know, there's a, uh, there's a, there's a shot of a family, you know, driving a car. It's mom, dad, little brother and little brother, son and little brother. And the, the, the smallest child is a baby. The other kid is about seven. And they're in the car. Now, granted, it's it's dated immediately by the by the fact that uh, you know there's not a seatbelt to be worn in the car. Uh, the little baby is on the mom's lap in the front seat and just looks like it's been kidnapped. It looks like the Lindbergh baby. It, it does not look like it wants to be there in any way, shape, or form. Now, what I was telling you earlier, I, I, and, and again, to be fair, I just want you know full transparency. I have the movie on in the background right now. Okay. <laughs> I have to. I just have to have it on to remind me how shitty this thing is. For those of you um, who remember, this is Jason's tradition that he started with Halloween Kills. True. Where he just watched that over and over again, even though it was such a terrible film. <laughs> Sorry. Jeez. It was no Halloween. Halloween Kills was certainly no Halloween Four. I'll give you that. Um, all right. So. <laughs> and actually, Jason, before and I, we won't bring it up again. We promise. Uh, audience members but I actually just as you were talking I looked up on eBay there was a record a soundtrack that came out in 1984 for Silent Night Deadly Night all with original compositions I'm going to run down for you really quickly the 12 songs and the titles uh, of, of, of of the original compositions for this do it this film. do it song one on side a side a is titled naughty and the first song is It Must Be Christmas. The second song is Sleigh Rider. 
The third Christmas or the third song is Santa's Watching. The fourth song is Merry Christmas, baby. The fifth song is The Warm Side of the Door, the classic. Uh, and then number six on side A was Christmas Party. Side B, which is entitled Punish. Side B, and I have no idea what song this would even be. The first one is Christmas Flu. Christmas flu. Did, I don't remember anyone being sick at any point. Uh, song two is Christmas fever. Song three is I want to sing you a love song, baby. Number four is sweet little baby. Number five is Merry Christmas, sweetheart. And number six is Christmas in my dreams. Oh, okay. <clears throat> that's all. That's all good. I know what I'm getting you for Christmas next year. <laughs> Why wait? <laughs> <laughs> all right so the uh the 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 film starts out this family's driving in the car and you know within i don't know what it is maybe it's just bad filmmaking maybe it's you just know there's schlockiness gonna happen or something i'm not sure I, and i really don't know I, I really can't blame this on the filmmaker but there was something about this family looking at them for whatever reason, within the first five seconds of seeing them, I knew they were dead. I knew they were dead. Not only were they going to die, but they were going to die within like the first 10 minutes of this film. There was something about them, and I don't know what it is, but clearly I thought they were going to die. Sure enough, they do. Spoiler. However, and by the way, we're doing full spoilers on this. I don't care. <laughs> if, you, if you don't want to, you know, if, you're, if you haven't seen it by now, you know. We are sparing um, you the pain. <laughs> that's also true. This is also one of those movies and things like this really bother me. And I've seen it a handful of times um, in other films, like probably holiday movies where people just seem to be, they, they, they purposely set out to seem to have like a miserable time at the holidays. Like they don't know how to enjoy themselves. You know what I mean? And what, so what I mean by that is, these guys, they're on their way to, it's Christmas Eve, by the way. And it's the, the film starts off Christmas Eve, like 1971. There are three time jumps in this film prior to the 26 minute mark. Okay. There are three time jumps, which amazing. So in, in, on the, when we first see the family, they're driving to grandpa's. They don't say where they don't say where they just say we're going to grandpa's blah, blah, blah. So you assume, I assumed that they were going to like, you know, grandpa's cabin or grandpa's house. Cause they're driving like out in the countryside. You don't know where the hell they're going. Where do they, where do they pull up to on Christmas Eve? But the Utah mental hospital is what it's, it's called the Utah mental hospital is where they're going. So, um, Okay, these people don't know how to enjoy Christmas, number one. And it, it bothers me when people don't know how to enjoy the holidays. You know, it just, it, it gets on my nerves. It gets on my nerves. Uh, and there's a couple more instances of this where, you know, in this film, where it's like Christmas Eve night, apparently it's it's like late in the evening and like people are out just like misbehaving and, you know, doing like trying to like find kids to beat up. I don't understand how that happens on Christmas. I, I just, it's not in my, it's not in my bubble. You know what I mean? Sounds like, like you've never celebrated a Christmas in Utah. That's also true. <laughs> that's also true. You know what I mean, though? It's like, you know, most people in the world, well, I shouldn't say that because people are going to not people with a family. But like for me, I will just say specifically in my circle, 
you know, people spend time with their families. You know, they hang out, they have a joyful time, they're doing their thing, whatever their little traditions are. But like scumbags in this movie are all out trying to like cause trouble on Christmas Eve. And for some reason, when I see that, it pisses me off. And oh, yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because you mentioned a minute ago, Jason, that I think uh, a minute ago, like probably 60 minutes ago now, back in the first recording, that yeah. one of the reasons why you probably never watched it. And I said, ooh, that's really smart. That's poignant. Then maybe that's why I haven't uh, I hadn't watched this movie up until this point either was, yeah, you when you think about Christmas and Christmas movies, you're not thinking of a bloody axe murderer. This isn't like Friday the 13th where you want to throw on a scary movie or Halloween night when you want to throw on a scary movie. You want to associate Christmas with joy and happiness. And and uh, and yeah, so there was that discordant element to this whole film. And uh, and yeah, you're right. You know, going to the uh, to the mental facility in Utah right out the gate uh, is a sign that uh, that, yeah, maybe these folks don't quite know how to celebrate Christmas, because to me, when you go visit grandpa, not not saying that you don't you shouldn't go visit grandpa in the hospital if that's where grandpa is. But bring him presents, bring him cookies. This is one of those films that had so many just loose strings or like gaping flaws or or just issues that I had with the filmmaking. And even something as simple as that is one. Yes, we're singing Christmas carols and we're on the way to see grandpa. They pull into the mental ward and they're in the mental ward and they don't even have anything for grandpa. Now, maybe you can't give grandpa who's in the mental ward a present or something like that. But I mean, a sweater, a cookie, like something. It just felt so tacked on like, okay, so this is how they're going to, you know, just really sloppy storytelling, how they're going to kind of try to get this ball rolling by introducing grandpa who uh as as you said so eloquently in the last film is in a catatonic state when we first meet him well and you know they i disagree they did give grandpa something they, they gave grandpa a seven-year-old to to just terrorize apparently <laughs> so they uh they show up at this mental the utah mental hospital and they you know apparently there's no one there it's the doctor and it's the four of them Right. So they're all walking together. They go, the doctor says, well, grandpa's in the rec recreational room. They go into the rec room and there's nothing there. It's grandpa in a rocker in an empty room. I mean, it's, it's, I hate when they do stuff like this and they say, well, he's in the recreation room. Okay. Put a ball in there. Put a, put a ping pong paddle in there. Put, put something people in there. Like yeah, put a person in there. <laughs> singing Christmas Carol, something. Yes. Something. But they're in the recreation room. There's nothing in the room, but grandpa in a rocking chair. And so what, what do you do when you're, uh, when you have a, a seven-year-old with you and you, you have to go talk to a doctor, you leave. Uh, oh, and there we see grandpa. He's in his catatonic state. He's just looking straight ahead. He's not saying nothing because he's a good actor, you know, and he knows how to act like he's in a catatonic state. So the parents are like, well, we're going to go talk to the doctor about the diagnosis in the other room. Billy, you stay here. And then as soon as they leave the room, grandpa like comes to life in his in horrific fashion, mind you, and just, you know, starts terrorizing the kid in like some weird, crazy, psychotic way. And again, you know, one second prior, he's cat, you know, can't move. He's basically Michael Myers. He's basically, basically Michael Myers, <laughs> you know? Uh, and then he starts like chewing on his fist and he starts tearing up and just, just telling the kid, like, do you know what happens on Christmas Eve? Sam is going to kill you. And I mean, like where, where does that even come from? I mean, it's, it, there, 
it's just bizarre. He just says, Santa's going to kill you. If you've been bad, he's going to murder you. <laughs> and so, okay, g- g- great. Scare the hell out of the kid on Christmas Eve. But, but like, you know, the parents leave and they come back. And so, okay, so now the, the, the kid's been scared to death uh, for about Christmas. The parents come back and then, uh, you know, they, they, they start heading back. They're at this hospital, mind you, for like 11 seconds. Right. <laughs> right. It seems like they drove hours you know, to get there. And even the kids like on the way up, he makes a comment. He goes, well, what happens if, and this is before they get to see grandpa, I think, or maybe it was right after, maybe it was after. And, uh, he goes, well, you know, what happens if, uh, you know, I'm awake when Santa comes in and goes, well, then the the mom's like, well, he's not going to give you any toys and you'll be naughty. And you know, you can't have that. And it's like, they're driving, you know, in the middle of the night, it seems, or maybe not the middle of the night, but I don't know. It just, it seems like they spent hours and hours and hours in this car going to see grandpa for about 11 seconds. Like, can't they just enjoy the holidays and go see grandpa on the 26th? You know, <laughs> that's, that's the part that is, when I see stuff like this, I'm like, they're going to drive for, let's just say it's a two hour each way trip. That's what it seems like. Uh, Cause the kid doesn't know if he'll get home in time to go to bed and all this crap. I don't know. Well, just, and it seems like that too, Jason, because I think one of the things that, again, frustrated me so much about this film is just all of the poor editing choices. And it's just, it's sloppy. It's bad. It's poorly made. And they show, they, you know, as the parents are driving to the mental facility, some beautiful scenery with the car driving, you know, uh, at the base of snow-capped mountains and across these big open fields. But they hold on the car for like 30 seconds. 40 seconds, 50 seconds. And it's just like, it felt like hours (laughs) trying to get there because it's almost like they were putting in filler in the movie. It was almost like it was an incomplete film in some way that, uh, yeah, usually, you know, show the car for three seconds as they're driving along. Instead, they'll just show the car for like a straight 20 seconds with just driving down the street. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's so weird. There are some really odd decisions that are made like that. Uh, you know, they're in the car on their way to the mental facility. You're right. The, the boy is asking all these questions of his mother. The mother is turning around, answering her questions. And every like couple of minutes, they keep cutting to this exact same clip of the father that's reused where he's just looking at his wife with this sort of look like, Oh, little junior, isn't he so, so cute so silly and it's like it's the exact same clip there are so many little weird uh filmmaking choices or or little patches almost that they put in the film to either try to lengthen it or try to broaden the story but those stand out so jarringly and uh yeah and and another one too is with grandpa you're right. Grandpa is there crying. He's, uh, you know, he's he's cackling. Literally, tears are coming down his face, which is really strange. Yes, and weird. he's saying Christmas Eve is the scariest night of the year. Santa punishes all the naughty ones. Your mom and your dad can't save you. And then as soon as the click of the, the doctor's door uh, turns as, uh, as the family uh, leaves the doctor's office to come back into the recreation room where they've left Billy with Grandpa, Grandpa is immediately cut right back to just rocking in his chair chair no sign of any tears no sign of anything like it's just again it's either really poor filmmaking or maybe maybe there was some sort of a meta sort of thing there where maybe billy was having a psychotic moment and totally imagined everything himself uh maybe grandpa didn't really come to life but that's how confusing this film is at some points either a simple editing choice uh or a simple editing mistake was made or uh they they tried to do something really um 
really meta that just didn't really hit for me. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you're giving way too much credit when you start saying, well, maybe it was like, you know, they were trying to go meta and, you know, maybe Billy just had like a psychotic break and you never, I, I didn't think, I didn't go down that route. I just thought this is, this is just dumb. <laughs> this is just, <laughs> just bad this is just silly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's just silly. Um, so at this point, you know, Go figure. There's a there's a, a setup scene of a guy in a Santa suit who's robbing a convenience store. Shoots the clerk. Uh, I shot the clerk. I shot the clerk. Uh, and then he you know he leaves and he, he drives away in his car, which then breaks down. And then guess who stumbles upon uh, Santa Claus in the middle of the road, in the middle of the country, right in the middle of the night, and the dad because he's so fucking smart pulls over to help him. Right. And uh, the, the Santa Claus you know, kills the mom, kills the dad. Uh, little Billy runs away, but he sees Santa doing horrible things to his family. So this has now terrorized him. And then we come to our first time jump. Right. Now, well, keep in mind, there was a baby in the car. Okay? There was a yep. baby in the car and Billy was in the woods in the middle of the night in winter, <laughs> Christmas Eve in Utah. I think it gets cold in Utah. I think it does. I think Utah bit. has cold, bit. cold winter. Um, so somehow Billy survives this. Uh, somehow the baby survives this. We don't know how or why, but then we we make a time jump to uh, what nineteen? It was started out in seventy one. This goes to nineteen seventy four. Seventy four. Yeah, a mere three years later. A mere three years later, the kid couldn't look any more different. <laughs> he could not look like more of a different child. They. This is another one, right? They had the kid at seven and then the kid at 10, okay? These two look like they were born on opposite ends of the world. (laughs) These two kids that were three years apart, they look nothing alike. There's nothing at all similar about either one. As a matter of fact, the one at at 10 just looks disturbing. I'm just going to say it. He's an ugly child. I feel, you know... (laughs) Too bad for his parents. They must also be ugly parents. This kid is unattractive. Um, couldn't look anything like the seven-year-old kid whatsoever. The seven-year-old was kind of cute. He's a little, little cute little boy, right? This kid looks like he's a carp. He looks like he got his mom had sex with a carp, a carp, a fish, and spit out Billy. That's all I'm going to say. Dude, if there's uh, one thing you got to give that kid, though, he has probably the greatest 80s mullet of a child that I have ever Yes, he seen. does. That was a <laughs> rockin' mullet. <laughs> Business in the front, party in the back. There is no question. And now it's three years later. It's, uh, I'm just gonna, it's a, it's a different actor, folks. It's not the same one. It's a different kid. Um, he is now in an orphanage, which they call the Utah Orphanage or Utah this was- Orphanage for Children or some, for Abandoned Kids. This is St. Mary's Orphanage, yes, for for abandoned uh, children. But yes, that I thought was very important. Uh, having grown up in a Roman Catholic household uh, myself, one of the things that whenever you were around the nuns or the priests or at church, there were no signs of Santa at all. It was all the story of the manger and the baby Jesus and the three wise men and the Virgin Mary. Uh, so this is one of those things that really stood out for me as a child of the 80s, as a Roman Catholic child. No way would a place like St. Mary's Orphanage have stockings everywhere and like, you know, Santa Claus is coming to visit, at least not from my own personal experience. It would have been all about 
the uh, the story of the manger and and the birth of Jesus and and stuff like that. So I, I just got a big uh, big kick out of that. I was like, no way, they're not going to be in a convent with a strict mother superior like that, or rather, a, not a convent, but an orphanage with a strict mother superior like that, and uh, and be drawing pictures of Santa Claus and having Santa decorations all around. That to me, I called baloney on. Did you also get a kick out of Mother Superior? Because <laughs> I didn't. Wow. She um, seems like a lot of the Mother Superiors that I heard about growing up as a, as a kid from my parents who went to Catholic schools and had like really mean, stern nuns uh, as, a, as, as their teachers. And yeah, I, I tell you, the, uh, the St. Mary's Orphanage out in Utah does not seem like a place that I would want to grow up. She was a bitch. <laughs> she was a straight up bitch. And I, you know, this is, I never understood this. And I don't know if it was stereotypes or if it was, you know, derived from, like you said, you know, our parents went to Catholic school. I think my mom went to Catholic school and I heard horror stories too. And I never understood why. I, I am not a religious man. I do not practice Catholicism, uh, Christianity. I, I just, I feel like I have, you know, spiritual beliefs, but I do not practice an organized religion. I think organized religion is a real big racket. Um, so it's just not my gig. All right. <clears throat> However, only one saint having seen the pictures of your house that you sent me of your decorations that, uh, that I think you celebrate and that St. Nicholas because wow. Yes. Jason, you should be on one of those like holiday decorating shows. Your Christmas decorations go to the next level. My friend, it's true. Very, very <laughs> impressive. A little sidebar yes. there, but <laughs> it's, it's very Martha. It's my Martha Stewart moment. Yeah, much is Christmas time. Yes. Much nicer than the decorations in St. Mary's orphanage. <laughs> <laughs> It, you know, but like they, they have this, they, you know, it's a, it's a orphanage run by nuns and, you know, some of the nuns seem nice. They seem like, oh, we want to watch out for the kids and make sure they're happy and have some fun. And then mother superior is like, nope, they all suck, you know? And, and I, I don't understand where that comes from in organized religion. I just, I just don't. Um, but that stereotype has really made its way over into a lot of forms of media and entertainment where the mother superior or the head nun or whatever the hell you want to call her, sister mayor, I don't know, uh, is just a real dick. And this one doesn't disappoint. No, she, she no, she, she does sucks. not. And it was interesting because at, at the end of the film, I wondered if she would get her comeuppance. No spoilers just yet, but very interesting ending that involved Mother Superior. And that's one thing that I was really disappointed about with this film, where there are just so many loose threads that are left that, uh, you know, as as I'm kind of going through my storytelling checklist, as, you know, we're being introduced to Grandpa, and Grandpa is talking about, you know, to little Billy, like how Christmas is the scariest night of the year, or when the uh, the Santa murderer uh, stops the family and kills the family, and Billy and the little brother escape, I'm thinking, okay, so this is all going to tie together somehow, like, this, this you know, we're going to learn nope. what put Santa in the mental hospital, we're going to, maybe Billy's going to go back and and, and see grandpa at the end of the film to learn more how do you stop santa how do you defeat it grandpa you're the only one who knew that santa was evil i thought maybe some way somehow the uh the evil uh santa impersonator that robbed the christmas or excuse me the convenience store and then murdered billy's family i thought he was going to get his comeuppance or maybe billy would go track him down nope 
none of that. So as I'm going through the checklist, nope. I'm like, oh, well, Billy's probably never even returning to the orphanage then, and and we're probably never going to see uh, Mother uh, Mother Superior again after he uh, he grows up and there's that third time jump and he's now an adult. But uh, but no, fortunately, this is one thing where they do return to Mother Superior and the orphanage at the end of the film, which otherwise this would have just been an, a total storytelling disaster with every possible loose end. But yes, they they do try to tie that one up at the end. But yeah, these these nuns are uh, very different uh, sides of the aisle. You have Sister Margaret who thinks that someone like Billy needs to confront his past and be uh, sort of nurtured and, and, right. and, and, you know, that, uh, that, that, you know, he can overcome things by facing his fears. Whereas mother superior believes that no, it just has to be beaten out of him. He has to face his fears and just deal with it and <laughs> literally beats him, ties him to ties him to a bed at one point, whips him with a, a belt at one point. Uh, so two very different schools of thought for, uh, for child rearing. Well, and and clearly they understand that this kid has trauma as it pertains to Christmas because they made, you know, I'll give him a little bit of credit. They said, you know, well, now you know there's proof that he has problems at Christmas because the first time we uh, see Billy number two, uh, middle Billy, if you will, uh, he's drawing a picture of Santa. Santa's, you know, all cut up. He's cut off Rudolph's face. And uh, he's like, oh, what? I don't understand what the problem is. You know, like, you know, there clearly there's an issue as it pertains to Christmas. The nuns seem to know that. And Mother Superior's <laughs> treatment, if you will, is to, yeah, she smacks him around with a belt. She does that because she's going to, like, beat the problem out of him. I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, then she does, she ties him to a bed when he gets out in the middle of the night to like, I don't know, cause he's having a panic attack. So then she comes and ties him to the bed. And then the, for the trifecta, <laughs> you know, it's Christmas morning. All the kids get to open one gift, which is nice. And even mother superior then's like, all I see is, you know, greed. And all I see is where there know, should where be gratitude. Be gratitude. Yes. And, <laughs> I'm like, you suck. Like, let it go for one day. Jesus Christ. Uh, so at one point she goes, I want everyone to like, you know, write a letter to Santa and say, thank you for your gift, which by the way, all the gifts were bad. Don't get me started on that. Uh, but Santa Claus is coming to the orphanage. So mother superior decides and she she makes like the the grand statement at some point between you know right in this like five minute you know time frame that she's cured him. He came down for Christmas. She goes, "Are you going to behave?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to behave. I don't want to get smacked again. I know what to do." And uh, she goes, "See, he's cured. He's fine. He won't be giving you any more you know any more problems." And it's like, what? I don't. How do you, what? Like I don't understand that at all. Okay, but fine. Now Santa's coming to visit, right? And this, I'm going to tell you, this is my favorite part of this movie. If there's <laughs> any redeeming quality in this movie, it's coming up right here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Santa comes and, you know, all of a sudden you see Mother Superior dragging Billy into this room with Santa. And he's just like, he ain't having it. He's like, no, thank you. I don't want to, you know, and he's like, I don't want to be here. I don't like this. I don't like that guy. There's a problem where, where, you know, I don't, everything having to do with him, I don't want to be involved in. He is hyper clear about that. He could not make it any more crystal clear. 
She ain't having it. She drags him. She puts him on, <laughs> on Santa's lap. <laughs> this is a 10-year-old kid. This kid's like, fuck this. He hauls off and he hits Santa right in the fa- Like, he just, in a perfect roundhouse punch, just smacks Santa right in the nose, knocks Santa the F out <laughs> he is on his back he ain't moving he ain't moving he is knocked out cold and billy's like like this later and he just runs off that is my favorite part of this film blood streaming from santa's nose all over his white beard yes he is knocked out by little little billy uh <laughs> that that's up there for me it's not quite my favorite part of the film my favorite part of the film is coming up soon but uh (laughs) but i do think i do think we should go back for one second and just acknowledge the fact uh you know maybe as modern viewers in 2021 you know just how uncomfortable watching some of these 80s horror movies are for their exploitative nature uh in mm-hmm. the way especially that they depicted women i think uh, pretty much every woman in the film except for mother teresa or not mother teresa mother superior had their shirt ripped off no brazier just uh this this yeah. film probably could have been called bosoms galore uh <laughs> as it was going to be you know if it had a, my new band bosoms galore a second title but that's one of the things that there's this weird sort of again i don't know if this was intentional or just something that these skeevy filmmakers were doing but when billy's mother was dragged out of the car by the santa and murdered at first of course before he murdered the mother santa had to rip open the mother's blouse and bare her breast and everything uh-huh. uh, and then any time in the film there's any sort of you know funny business going on whether it's in billy's own mind when he's dreaming about uh, sleeping with uh, uh, one of his future co-workers which we'll get to in a minute or whether it's him looking through the peephole at the orphanage on two I don't even know who those people were that were having sex with were they camp counselors from Friday the 13th it I don't know like I don't it, right I mean they weren't nuns uh, was obviously. it a different movie I don't know what was happening there <laughs> yeah it was so strange so for people who don't uh, well and just to finish that that point anytime Billy sees a a, a, a breast it triggers in his mind uh, those images of his mother being killed. And it's just really, really uncomfortable and, and just very strange, but very exploitative. Again, almost every single female character just has their shirt ripped off for no reason whatsoever. Uh, and uh, and yeah, we even see it at the orphanage where uh, Billy uh, hears moaning and groaning and screaming coming from uh, a room down the hall. So while he's grounded, he walks down the hall, peeks in through a peephole. This, for whatever reason, really kind of made me laugh. As he's looking through the peephole, the camera is uh, panning up. And as we're hearing the sounds of, of lovemaking happening, it's like it, the camera's going up and up and it shows like one mattress, two mattresses, three mattresses, four mattresses. It looks like they're this this teenage couple is making love on a stack of like seven mattresses as the camera keeps going up and up and up through the little peephole view. Um, but yes, uh, of course, Mother Superior walks in on this, sees this. She whips uh, the, the teenagers or the adults or whoever they were. Again, we're never given... We never see these people before. We never see these people since. They're just two adults making love in a room next to Billy's in the orphanage. Uh, but Mother Superior whips them with a uh, 
uh, a belt and then a leather belt, yeah. a leather belt. Yeah. And then ultimately tells Billy what Billy witnessed was naughty and naughtiness needs to be punished, which is a theme that we heard from grandpa, uh, that naughty children will be punished by Santa. And it's something that ultimately becomes the MO of, uh, of our serial killer here, Billy spoiler alert, who's going to become a, a psychotic killer. I don't know why after <laughs> all the horrors that, uh, he's seen here in the, in the opening 30, minutes or so of the film but yeah very uh very just it was cringe it was cringy and gross and it was exploitative and it was it did i say gross it was gross (laughs) it was just gross it was gross not not good not good at all but fortunately we leave the orphanage here pretty quickly wait 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 before we leave the orphanage there is one very last frame that cannot be ignored. Oh boy. <laughs> that cannot be ignored. This is right after Billy hauls off and whacks Santa, which I just watched, mind you. And it, it, it it's from yesterday. It still holds up today. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Quite a pun. Uh, after Billy hauls off and, and hits Santa square in the face and make bloodies his nose and knocks him the fuck out. Uh, he runs away into a corner. It's like some hallway he runs into the hallway and he hides in a corner. Best hiding spot ever kid. Trust me. No one can see you in a corner. Uh, and then he's kind of cowering down. He's scared. And all you hear like in the background, mother superiors coming and she's like, Billy. And then they do this thing where like the act here's, here's the direct. I wasn't there for the filming of silent night, deadly night, but I could tell you how this scene went. All right, Billy, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be in the corner. I want you to look up and look, scared that's all i want you to do so billy looks up and he looks scared right at the camera and then they do a freeze frame they freeze it for like 20 seconds <laughs> they don't they don't just like stop they, they freeze it for like 20 seconds on his face it is too long it's too long okay and like then then they move to the third time jump at the 20 24 minute mark they go to the next time jump and now billy's what uh 20 uh 20 years old 18 according to sister margaret okay he's 18 all right great and Uh, so he's he's now an 18 year old yet another actor by the way now he's blonde and now he's huge super jacked i do uh i did kind of chuckle at the way that uh 18 year old billy is introduced and again we go from yeah. such a horrific scene uh moments prior with little billy uh knocking out santa after you know that that weird uh interaction with the the kids making love and mother superior catching them and beating him beating them all with uh with belts and now here we are Billy's 18. We do this time jump and uh, we see sister Margaret, who's the nice nun. She's the nun that wants to nurture Billy and help Billy. She's trying to age today. Age today. She hasn't. But again, Billy has uh, aged considerably and looks nothing like what, uh, no. what his younger self uh, looked like. No, and uh... <laughs> no, nothing. Again, it's a completely different DNA strand for this guy. <laughs> I mean, it couldn't be any more. Couldn't be any more different. No. Nope, nope. And supposedly every place in town has turned down Billy. Uh, so Mother, uh, or not Mother Superior, but Sister Margaret has been trying to find Billy a job. She's at Sims, or excuse me, Ira's Toy Store with Mr. Sims. 
trying to get Mr. Sims to hire this orphan, this 18 year old Billy. And Mr. Sims is just, he's not even looking up from his paperwork. He's in the back room and blah, blah, blah. this is a job for a man, not a boy. It's lifting boxes and stocking shelves and blah, blah, blah. And sister Margaret says, okay, well, let me at least introduce you to him. Here's Billy. And then they show, they show uh, Mr. Sims turn around to look at Billy and you see his eyes go wide as he's looking down at Billy's feet. And then the camera takes over from there and we just get this like craning up shot from Billy's feet all the way up to, you know, really uh, uh, underscore how big and massive Billy is now. Oh, yeah. And, uh, of course, uh, Billy has his sleeves rolled, like, all the way up to show off his guns and his biceps. And, and and of course, Mr. Sims is like, oh, Billy. Like, he's almost <laughs> drooling at how, like, you know, big and rippling and and, and strapping this, this uh, orphan boy is. And he hires him on the spot. And... Well- uh, yeah, don't I you do that every time that. you meet someone for the first time? Don't you start at their feet and work your way up to their face? <laughs> Absolutely. And when I want to make a good uh, a good impression, I roll up my sleeves so people can see my guns. You know, oh and know that God. I can stock some shelves. <laughs> I, I just love that. It's like they start at the feet and they work their way up to his face. I'm just like, what is? Okay, so we are now in what is going to be the back nine of this movie. This is now the second half of this movie. And by the way, the running time of this is an hour and 24 with credits. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, we're, we're about at, at this point, we're about 25 minutes from the end of the film. <laughs> okay. I mean, <laughs> kid you not. Um, can we talk about this toy store for a minute? Dude, can, I've been waiting for this. This, this is my favorite part of the film. Yes. Let's talk about this toy store. And I'm not going to steal your thunder because I know what your favorite part is. And I'm not going to steal your thunder, but I want to talk about the actual store for a second. Not not the people in it because they're a hot mess. We all know that. And believe me, they are a hot mess. Uh, but I want to talk about this toy store, the store itself. Um, could they have done a worse job of making this toy store look like a toy store because it looks like a a place where like black market uh criminal behavior uh is is happening on the regular like this is where you go to uh like i don't know buy meth or something like that this is the jankiest toy store i've ever seen in my life it's like it's it's haphazard. Now this is the this is in the time of the heyday of Toys R Us, of Playco toys, uh, KB toys. Like real toy stores exist in this timeline, right? Because this is 1984. The, the, this isn't like. 1971 where you know like pop-up stores showed up and and like you know they were gone overnight this is this is during the time of like at christmas you would see the toys r us commercials and you would see like real things are happening in the world yet this toy store is is like an underground criminal den (laughs) is is how i could describe the shelves are like so sparsely stocked with like random shit and one of the things that I look for when I watch a movie from the eighties or uh, the, even the seventies, I would say between the seven, the late seventies to the early nineties, anywhere in there, if they uh, at any given time 
go to a toy store in one of these films, I I look past the actors at this point. I look past the movie and I start looking at the shelves of the toy store because I want to see like the vintage Star Wars stuff, the vintage G.I. Joe, the vintage uh, Masters of the Universe. Because it's just, it's there. If it's a real toy store and they're doing a real film, that stuff is there. You know, and I just like kind of, I get a kick out of seeing it again, you know, when it makes me feel good. They actually did some of that here, but it is still so janky. And so like, there's, there's no like order to it. There's really no, there's, the shelves aren't really stocked. And by the way, when I say shelves, what I mean are those metal racks you have in your garage, <laughs> okay, <laughs> that are just in a cement. First of all, this toy store is just a big cement you know, room and someone brought in some like metal racks from their garage and they just put like a, a cop, like there's like one copy of Stratego on one shelf. There's a star Wars toy on a shelf. There's a something on a shelf. It's they're not stocked and there's, there's no rhyme or reason to it. You know what I mean? It's, it makes me sick, Tom. <laughs> it's what it does. And this is where Jason, this is where our childhood experiences, one of us being from the sticks of Maine, the other being from, you know, uh, West Coast, California, the big city. This is where our experiences are so different, because just like in the Halloween films where you said oh, Haddonfield Memorial doesn't look like any sort of real hospital that I've ever seen because it's so small and it's got such a minimal crew. I was like. Those are the exact sort of hospitals that I've seen around Maine all my life. <laughs> the same is true with the toy stores. I actually saw this and had the exact opposite um, uh, experience that you had where I was like, oh, my gosh, they actually found a real toy store. This Iris toy store must be an actual place where they filmed on location because that looks exactly like the toy stores that I used to visit in the early 80s now oh granted God. we did have a toys r us that was like an hour away in portland uh but otherwise if you wanted a a, a a toy you went to a place like iris toys which was nothing more than steel racks and just like a mishmash of random toys this brought me back harder than anything else i actually this was my favorite part of the film the montage this made me cry the montage that's coming up next is also like my 1A, but the actual, <laughs> like, inside the toy store, oh, it warmed my heart. And what I love, too, was just like you, I love stopping and looking to see what they have on the shelves. And I was amazed with the uh, Tiny Tyke stuff. They had some Mickey Mouse stuff. They had uh, uh, some Hot Wheels stuff. They had a Mr. Potato Head. And my absolute favorites, I had to like pause and zoom in and be like, oh, oh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. They had a Jabba the Hutt playset. Yeah. They have a Patrol Dewback. Yep. And they had a 1983 Luke Skywalker from Return of the Jedi. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was freaking out about this. I, I just absolutely love that. And of course, 2021 Tom was like, if these people only knew, if they only knew, buy those toys, leave the mint in box, hide them under your bed for the next 40 years. These will be worth hundreds and thousands of dollars in the future. This, I loved that aspect of this film more than anything else. If there's one thing I'm going to remember, it was that walk down memory lane in the entirely legitimate Ira's Toys, which probably looks like what toy stores look like all the way out in Utah, just like they oh look here God. in Maine. <laughs> it, it looked like scary toy Christmas. All right, I mean, it fits with the theme of the movie. Don't get me wrong. It's 
it, it is it is not um no i don't accept this well the <laughs> one the one thing that i will uh say was kind of scary about this toy store was there were all these great toys all around and then a giant fire axe hanging right over <laughs> one of the yeah. doors and it's like huh they keep lingering on that or, or that big giant fire axe keeps making it into all these different shots or just over the background of, of Billy, our 18 year old clerk. Uh, and it's like, hmm, I wonder if they're subtly suggesting something here. So that that, my friend, is the one thing that I will say was a little bit off and a little bit scary about Ira's toys, that giant axe in amongst the Jabba the Hutt playset and the <laughs> the Luke Return of the Jedi uh, figure and the patrol do back and all that other 80s goodness. Well, there, there were a couple, they did focus on the Star Wars stuff. I'll give them that. And I was like, well, and when I saw it too, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. Oh man. I had. You know, I, I, I enjoyed all that as well. And then that lasted for like one second. And then... <laughs> yep. All the all the crap came back of just this looks like where people get kidnapped and children are bought and sold. That's all. It, that's what it looked like to me. How um, could you get that after seeing that wonderful montage though, with that great Christmas classic song "Warm Side of the Door" playing? Warm side of the door. <laughs> I mean, if anyone, uh, again, I we have a lot of criticisms of this film, but if you want to see a classic 80s montage, this is it. It's everything from, you know, Billy lifting up, uh, you know, giant boxes and putting them on the shelves and smiling to an image of Mr. Sims, the, uh, the owner looking uh, without Billy knowing, looking over Billy's shoulder and he sees Billy tidying up the uh, the uh, coloring books and Mr. Sims nodding like, mm, I made a yeah, great he, he hire. He noddingly approves of Billy taking like, because remember right before that, Billy had just clocked out and Billy was walking by the coloring right. books after clocking out for the day and made the extra effort because he's such a good seed. He made the extra effort to like straighten up the color. The by the way, the rack of coloring books that were just like in the middle of the floor, mind you, there was no, just don't get me started on that, man. My OCD was in way overdrive watching this. That's one um, thing I'll give you. Yes, this was a messy toy store where things were just all over the place. And it was just, everything was just, you know, like I said, it bothers me when I see like a copy of Stratego with a doll behind it. And then behind the doll would be a basketball. You know, like those were the, how the items were lined up on the shelf. So, you know, toy stores that I went to, you'd, you'd have like, uh, 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 if it was like Star Wars, for instance, it would be all the Jabba's, all the X-Wings, all the tie. It wouldn't be a TIE fighter and then a Cabbage Patch doll and then a soccer ball. You know what I mean? It's just, oh my God, it was driving me bananas. <laughs> uh, and then there's stuff on the floor, there's stuff everywhere. And there's, it's like... It's like when, you know what it looked like? Okay, it looked like, uh, you know, for example, when a, I'll date myself here, like a Woolworths or a Sears or some, like a Kmart or something like that was yeah. going out of business. Yeah. And it was like, everything must go. And about two weeks before the doors were going to close permanently, you walk in there and there's like one thing on this shelf and then a bunch of empty space. One thing on that shelf and a bunch of empty space. And then you have like, you know, there's like 10 or 15 things strewn about. That's what this fucking store looked like. <laughs> it's just, you know I want you to take a poll of your listeners 
any listeners from rural cities did this or did this not maybe maybe my experience maybe my nostalgia just overwhelmed me here no this way brought me back to the rural toy stores that i was used to as a child i wonder if other people other listeners who had rural toy stores like these would recognize it or maybe i'm off my rocker but uh i would right now go back and shop at iris toys i i would <laughs> i I would have no trouble there, especially with, uh, you know, such good workers, because in that montage, a shot. I know that's true, right? Watch yeah. out for the rusty, uh, the rusty edges popping out of the, of the racks. Jesus. Or of the well, giant and- fire axe hanging over the door. Also true. <laughs> and let's talk about the store owner, Mr. Sims. I'm assuming Ira Sims. I'm assuming, I'm right? Assuming. Ira's toys, maybe. I'm, I'm assuming. assuming. Uh, why, why, in fact, does he hate Christmas? Because he is, let's just say he's the only toy store in town. Let's just say that. I think that's a safe assumption. To make. That's a safe assumption, yes. He's the only toy store in town. And like he's counting down the minutes to where he could close his doors and be done with this Christmas crap. I'm like, dude, isn't this where you like, you know, go from being in the red to being in the black? I don't know. <laughs> it seems to me like you'd want Christmas to go on a little bit longer if it were uh, if it were me running the toy store. But no, not not in Silent Night, Deadly Night. We have a toy store owner who hates Christmas. That's great. Perfect. <laughs> well, uh, well, let's let us not gloss over the image of during your montage, which I'll let you explain. <laughs> but there is one image that uh, I have to point out because like everything is going great, everything is going good, everyone's happy. <laughs> And then uh, Mr. Sims uh, unveils like this Merry Christmas sign with Santa in the middle. And they just do a close up of Billy. He's smiling. And then he looks at the picture of Santa and the frown on his face <laughs> is, is stellar. It is. It's perfect. It's actually a perfect moment in time. Well, and that's the thing. Again, when we talk about bad storytelling decisions or or like just how unpolished this film is uh the montage is great up until that point because yeah it's it's you know billy uh, smiling with customers it's billy flirting with uh, his female uh, co-worker it's billy stocking the shelves and tidying up the coloring books there's one scene where apparently there are some drunks that work at uh, sims which we we do see just one drunk <laughs> at their holiday just party one. But yeah, there's one guy in the back warehouse who offers Billy alcohol and having grown up in an orphanage, I'm assuming Billy has never had alcohol before. And instead he just, and again, this is all while the warm side of the door is playing. So it's a really peppy sort of montage. Instead, Billy just holds up a carton of milk and says, no, no, I'm good with a big cheesy smile on his face. So uh, again, it's this great 80s montage, but then you're right. Then Mr. Sims comes out in the middle of the montage and he's unraveling that giant banner that says you know merry christmas and it shows santa on it and you're right billy all of a sudden starts to seethe and go mad at the sight of santa we know that santa has been mixed up in his mind as this punishing evil villain who will uh you know do do ill upon those who have been naughty so i expect the montage to end there but it doesn't. It then goes no. back to showing more like cheery pictures of customers shopping through the store as the warm side of the door continues to play. And I'm like, was that done for comedic effect? Was that supposed to be scary? Like it, it, it just felt so out of place to go as from Billy that is moment. shaking, mind you. He starts right. shaking. 
Yeah. And then let's just keep going with the montage and the peppy music and, and more images of customers smiling. You end on that image to like, you know, that that's the foreshadowing of what's to come. And uh, no, not these filmmakers. They just kept on going with that montage for another 30, 40 seconds or so. And all these happy images of happy customers and, and happy children. Very strange. So, um, Moving along with more of the toy store, because a lot of the a lot of this third act takes place in the toy store, mm-hmm. okay, and uh, it, it it just kind of jumps to where now it's Christmas Eve, and uh, there was also a crawl board game in there, mind you, which I thought was kind of cool. Not gonna lie, I don't know if you picked that one up. I didn't. Uh, I didn't see that one. I'll have to go back and rewatch crawl it. board game. Oh yeah, there you go. Um, uh, the nineteen eighties classic movie Crawl. crawl. <laughs> Oh, they keep focusing on these Star Wars things. Jeez, oh, it just it it makes my heart sad. I'm kind of surprised saying. they could get away with that. Actually, the showing all those, uh, and I don't know if there's any like copyright issues or anything. But yeah, they had a Kermit the Frog, they had Mickey Mouse, yeah. they had Smurfs, all these like lights. They had some Masters of the Universe, a lot, lot yes. of little tykes. Yeah, yes, love yeah. the Masters of the Universe. I don't know what that was—a backpack, maybe, but no, it was a Castle Grayskull, man. Was it really? Oh, yes. I it was a backpack hanging on the wall. That makes sense because it was this giant square thing. So yeah, I guess Castle Grayskull would make sense—a box for it. Oh yes, yeah. Uh, so basically, the 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 story keeps unfolding, and the uh, Santa Claus that they're going to have on Christmas Eve. Uh, gets sick or something. He just doesn't show up. Breaks his ankle uh, ice skating. Breaks his ankle ice skating, says gross Ruth Buzzy, right? Right. Uh, So they decide we got to have Billy just step in and become Santa, of course, because nobody else can do it. Not like Phil Rizzo in the back can do it, right? It's got to be, uh, it's got to be Billy. Okay. It's an, it's, it makes sense. He's a young kid. All right, whatever. He could be Santa. So he's now Santa. And this is where I, as a parent, as a parent, I just think to myself, this scene would not happen in this movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Billy is now dressed up as Santa immediately. He, uh, he's sitting there and he's got a little girl on his lap and he's not doing the, oh, ho, ho, what do you want? Little, what can I get you for Christmas? He's not doing any of that. He's, this is how he starts off. What are you doing, little girl? Stop. Stop it. What are you doing? Please stop behaving like this. Like, immediately. That's his go-to opener, like, home opener for as Santa. He starts, like, being weird and creepy and telling a little girl, stop it. Stop reacting like this. You're being naughty. I'm going to have to punish you. That you did. And, like, the parent is a foot <laughs> away. And she's like... He sure knows how to handle those kids. He's so he, good with he's children. He's great. And I'm like, are and you Mr. fucking- Mr. Sims is nodding like, yeah, I made them. Yeah, right Mr. Choice. Sims is like, yeah, I found them. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, my mom, do you know how fast I would have killed Billy? <laughs> like, do you have any idea how fast I would have calmly removed my child from Billy's grasp and then I would have murdered Billy. And then movie over. Probably with the axe that was hanging just a few feet away over the over the doorway. <laughs> I, I mean, th- there's just no, there's no question at all. That, that, not, 
geez, he's really good with the children. Yeah, because he's scaring the fucking life out. The soul is leaving your daughter. Okay, that's what's happening. And you're just, I don't understand why filmmakers think that like parents are just fucking stupid. Right. That's the part. Right. I, I hate that. So <laughs> that was, uh, and that was the only scene is Billy is Santa in the store, right? Uh, yeah. The, the other part I'd like to point out. So at this point, Christmas Eve comes to an end. It's 7 p.m. and Ira's Toys is closing for the night. And immediately, <laughs> Mr. Sim, Ira Sims, the owner of, I'm, we're assuming Ira's Toys, is like, thank God, I hate Christmas. It's over. Let's get shit-faced, right? So he's now he's a good employer, and I'll tell you why. He's throwing a holiday party for his employees, okay? So they shut the door, they lock it, and immediately they they lay out like, you know, eight or ten bottles of booze. About eight or ten, somewhere. And it's like, you know, this the, the vodkas, the scotches, the, uh, the whiskeys, the bourbons. There's four employees at this store. (laughs) There are four people employed at Iris Toys. And they have like 10, 12 bottles of booze, right? (laughs) Like, and I'm even looking at, you know, I enjoy a cocktail. Don't get me wrong. But I'm like, I don't understand. And then, you know, at some point, like, you know, the the movie kind of goes a little further. The party, the party, quote unquote, goes on. And then at some point, Mr. Sims looks around and goes, this party sucks. It's dead. There were four people here. (laughs) There were four people here. In a giant warehouse toy store. (laughs) Yes. It's, it's, it's great. And then of course we see, this is where we first see Billy snap as Santa, uh, the girl that he likes that he's fantasizing about, uh, who is just can't, you know, it's, it's a clear, um, moved by the director to show that women are useless and helpless and they can't make their own decisions. That is clearly the director's motivation here. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, the, you know, Phil Rizzo from the back, the guy that was like the jerk through the whole movie in the, in the toy store, uh, the guy that offered Billy a drink, but Billy had milk instead. So Billy drank his milk, um, you know, while the other guy's drinking scotch on the job. So he lures the, the one girl back, the love interest of Billy somewhat, lures her back and attempts to rape her, right? Like that is pretty clear. That is Pamela. Yep. That is made very clear. He, he attempts to rape her. He tries, if Billy had not been there, this probably would have went down. So Billy goes and instead he breaks up the rape and he murders the dude, uh, with what I would call superhuman strength. Yes. (laughs) That came from nowhere. Right. Yes. So he wraps, he pulls the guy off the, off the girl. Uh, of course she's shirtless, right? Like you mentioned early on in the, uh, in the film, um, or early on in the show, she like all the women in this movie, she was also shirtless, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, she's sitting there in the corner. He, Billy then lifts up the dude with one arm about four feet off the ground, right? He's about four feet off the ground. And then he wraps his neck in Christmas lights and strangles them. And also apparently cuts his throat with the Christmas lights. Right? <laughs> yeah. Spot on. Here's the part that gets me. All this stuff I can accept. I Here's I the part that gets me. Right. The girl who just was going to be the victim of an actual rape. Then looks at Billy and goes, what's the matter with you? 
what's the matter with you? Why are you? What's what's wrong with you? Why just get away from me? Why would you do that to him? You crazy like that shit, right? Yeah. Just <laughs> drives me bananas. So yeah. So then Billy's like, okay, well then fuck this. <laughs> and then he of course kills her, right? Yeah. Which starts the the killing spree in the store. Uh, everybody then, you know, every, one by one systematically, I, I guess a couple of people escaped because they weren't in the store any longer. Uh, but it was left with uh, ugly Ruth Buzzy and Mr. Sims were the only two people left in the store. Apparently they both die um, for whatever reason. I don't understand. Uh, I don't understand the motivation why this happened, but I guess Billy just totally snapped at this point. Well, okay, here, go well, ahead. So you, you go, you go. Well, I was going to say, so at this point, the toy store is kind of behind us. Uh, but what I don't understand, and I, 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 like I said at the beginning of this, it started becoming white noise to me. Like I couldn't just really follow things anymore. Uh, Billy leaves and just start, he just randomly goes on a killing spree in the, in the Utah city that they're in. And it's never really explained why. Yeah, so I think this might be some of the most convoluted, like, five or six minutes of the film, (laughs) where it really starts to fall apart, because, again, you know, uh, just before Billy goes on his murderous rampage, he has, like, a, a, a sexual dream, where he wakes up in the middle of the night, from a dream where he and his coworker, her name is Pamela, the one who would later be attacked and that he would save from from being, uh, you know, raped by by Andy, the the evil uh, employee. Phil Rizzo. He's making love to her again. She's bare breasted and everything. Uh, and then Santa Claus comes into his sexual fantasy and stabs him and her, or or maybe just him, or, or maybe just her. just him, just him, just him. And all sorts of blood goes everywhere, all over the two of them as they're having intercourse. So very strange how like Santa and naked women and Billy becoming a man and like his visions of like what what sexualizes him, what arouses him, what turns him on. It's it's very strange how it's all kind of mixed in together uh, into this pot. But what to me was quite funny was the day that Billy is uh, about to go on his murderous rampage, Sister Margaret calls the store, the good nun from the orphanage, the good nun who helped him find this job. And she speaks with uh, Andy, the jerk who works at the store and says, oh, hey, you know, uh, I'm just calling to check in on on one of our favorite, uh, our favorite, I don't know what you'd call them, clients, children, Billy, how's he doing at his job? And Andy explains, oh, great. He's doing so well that he's been promoted. Today he's dressed as Santa Claus and playing Santa for all the little kids in the store. And then you see Sister Margaret, who remembers the trauma that Billy has and who, when she was, you know, with little Billy was saying, oh, we really need to help this child face his fear so he doesn't become into, turn into this monster. When she hears that Billy is dressed up as Santa with the little children at at the toy store, she just drops the phone in horror and just, oh. and so, yes, you're right. When Billy goes on his rampage, and this is what's interesting, though. Billy, who hadn't had alcohol at any point before, Mr. Sims did get him to drink. And we see him like yeah. drinking it and going, no, oh, like, whoa, yeah. this is strong. So you almost have to wonder, like, all right, choose <clears throat> choose your villain, storytellers. 
is this like a kid who's going on a drunk rampage now that he sees that the girl that he's interested in is with another man and he's drunk? Is this guy a psycho? Is this guy a superhuman, like Jason said before, who can lift up uh, uh, Andy four feet off the ground by one hand and like choke him out with with uh, with, with Christmas lights? It's very, very strange. And of course, Billy, this is where he starts to introduce one of his two catchphrases i thought it was supposed to be his only one but it changes at the end of the film so i wonder if that was just a continuity error or what but he says to both uh pamela and to andy as he's killing them you should be punished punish punish so he says that while he's killing billy with the christmas lights says that while he's stabbing uh pamela who's frustrated that he saved her life from from evil Andy. And uh, yes, now he just, he almost becomes this robotic punish, punish, punish when he's going on his murderous sprees. And yes, Billy escapes uh, after he's killed everyone in the toy store. Uh, The way that he kills. uh, Well, first of all, I wonder why, gosh, what was her name again? The uh, Ruth Buzzy. She becomes the final girl again, just storytelling 101 and not the final girl for the whole film but for that scene in the toy store where billy finally snaps and goes on his murderous rampage that should really be his love interest the you know the the girl that we've been getting to know the girl uh you know that he's had a crush on since he started working there she should be the one hiding behind boxes and you know tackling billy and wrestling with him and escaping and running this way and running that way billy stops her here billy stops her there but instead it's random ruth buzzy who's trying to call the cops and billy unplugs it's, the phone yeah. she she puts her hat on top of a, a stack of toys billy tackles the tech stack of toys and she's not there she gets you know she somehow like knocks him out or disarms him or something and has the axe but rather than like taking him out she's running toward the door to escape she's about to smash the the door open with the axe and instead billy like kills her with what looked like a toy bow and arrow set but i guess it was a real one somehow one shot maybe billy was taking archery lessons because he's kind of like in the back of the store (laughs) and somehow he picks off ruth buzzy here from uh, he's now hawkeye right exactly again pick your who is your villain who is your monster is he superhuman is he a marksman is he you know this deranged sex psycho is he this you know alcohol fueled uh you know innocent uh, what what's going on here uh but uh yes uh after he's cleaned house and killed up everyone in the store he leaves and of course who walks in rather than calling the cops it's sister margaret who comes in and oh hello hello is a new and then she starts to scream right. as she discovers all the dead bodies. Uh, so, right. yeah. And, well, and you're right too, Jason. I think I looked and there are now 20 minutes left in the film. 20 yeah. minutes left. And we've been building up for the last Including hour friends. to Billy, uh, who's going on his murderous rampage. Now he's finally about to start killing people. And again, at this point, I'm just so lost. Where is he going? What is he doing? Is grandpa coming back? Is he going to go track down the original Santa killer? Is he going back to the orphanage? No. Instead, he winds up somehow again is he super powered he like teleports to the middle of nowhere uh and just this random house as you were talking about earlier jason and uh and yeah breaks in and attacks two teenagers that are babysitting making love yeah it's it's have i told you how bad this movie is i mean 
You know, I, you mentioned who the real villain is. I'll tell you who the real villain is. The person, I think you, I can't remember if this was in the recording we uh, abandoned or if it was in this one, but the editor. Okay, the editor. Yes. Because during this whole, you know, toy store nonsense, you know, the film shifts, like clearly shifts from like 30 millimeter to like handheld 1950s, eight millimeter type film. (laughs) And it does it a few times. And it's very disturbing when they do it because I... It's it's weird. It's just really really weird how they've they let that in there, and it's it's so noticeable and it's so shocking when it happens. And it happens like three times. <clears throat> it's yeah. really bad. Uh, so yeah, at this point, uh, yeah, the sister's on the way. I also want to point out that we're getting to the we are getting to the very end of this film, and with about I want to say. 14 minutes left in the film. And again, that 14 minutes includes credits. They start introducing characters. <laughs> they oh start my God. introducing. Yes. A ton. And I don't mean like, I don't mean like the teens that get killed. I'm talking about there's now what seemingly is like the main cop in the town, right? Uh, like the, the, the police chief or something. And he seems to have like a part that's supposed to be important in this movie. And they're introducing him with like minutes to go yeah. <laughs> in this film, you know, and now, you know, clearly Billy is making his way, he's making his way through the town and he's killing random people for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, at some point the cops get wind of it and it sort of reminds you of how Halloween went when like the cops knew Michael Myers was doing his thing. Well, now they know Billy's doing his thing and he's dressed up as Santa. And they even show like two idiot cops because there's there's always idiot deputies, right? Of course, always. the idiot deputies go there. He is, and it's a guy breaking into a uh, the a house on the second floor, and he gets in there, and they just run through the look. There's not a locked door in the neighborhood. Num- number one, they just run through the house. They run right to the girl's room, and it's a little girl, and Santa's about to kill her. Oh wait, no, it's her own dad. Okay, so uh, that's a big mistake. That's a red herring. So then they're looking for Billy. Billy's, uh, he, he knocks the head off of, uh, again, people who don't know how to celebrate Christmas. There's two kids that are like, look like they're 14 years old. They're out in the middle of the night sledding on a hill that makes no sense, right? This, they're sledding down a hill. It's so not a hill. You have to push yourself down it. (laughs) That's how much of a hill it is. It is stupid. So again, more people that don't know how to celebrate Christmas. Uh, and then like Billy's chopping their heads off. And then he makes it to the house where the two teens are doing their thing. And that house is clearly made of balsa wood, right? <laughs> because the, every wall and every door that Billy walks through or knocks down with an ax is so paper thin. It's hilarious. It's, <laughs> it's, it, it might as well not be there. It's, it's such a, there's such like thin walls and doors. All right. Well, now we get to the point where Billy's made his way back to the Utah orphanage or something like St. Mary's orphanage. And we we get introduced again to Mother Superior. She's still there and alive, but now she's in a wheelchair, right? That's her bit. And we see this introduction of the police chief who is now on the case. And he's with Sister Margaret, and they're trying to track down Billy. And I, I, I they here's how the movie ends. Billy makes his way to the orphanage. I don't I still don't know how he got there. 
I, I don't know how far it was. It seemed to be out in the middle of nowhere, and it seemed that the toy store was in the middle of a town. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know how far this was, but it all happened in the course of like an hour. Um, or maybe not, because I guess he got to the orphanage the next morning. So he makes it there somehow. I'm assuming he walks. Uh, and there's a deputy out at the orphanage. He kills somebody. They don't make any big deal of that. He just shoots the wrong guy. He shoots shoots someone dressed up as Santa. It was clearly the wrong guy. They just gloss over that like it's no big deal. The deputy gets to stay there and still do his work, (laughs) even though there's a dead guy that was shot by mistake. Not just a dead guy, the the priest. The priest. Father O'Reilly, who dressed up like Santa Claus to surprise the children. (laughs) Yeah, well, he's dead. He's yeah, now dead at the yeah. hands of the deputy. Uh, and at some point, Mother Superior says, we need to protect all the children. So what we're going to do is bring all the children together, which makes sense. Let's put them all in one group so there's no outliers. Um, and we don't want anyone to come in this orphanage that doesn't belong here. That's what Mother Superior says. So what they decide to do is gather all the kids and put them right in front of the front door. The <laughs> it's made of glass. glass front door, yes. The giant glass front door, let's put them right in front of all the kids are right in front of that. So Billy ends up coming to the door. Now, this is where it gets really good. Uh, One of the little girls, there's like 30 children there, right? And there's also about, you know, a sparse number of, you know, nuns that are there, adults, right? Adults that are there. And... All these adults are standing there looking at the front door. They're all staring at it. One little girl sees Billy walk right up to the front door. This glass front door goes, oh, hey, there's Santa. I'm going to go let him in. She gets up. She goes over to the... Nobody stops her. Nobody says, hey, come and sit down. She let... Or he, whatever the, whatever the little kid was. I can't remember if it was a boy or a girl. Boy. Goes, opens the door, lets in Santa, who's Billy now. He's Billy, the, the murdering Santa comes in, nobody sees this. <laughs> Even though they're looking right at him, nobody sees this. <laughs> and then, you know, he uh, he's going to kill Mother Superior because, well, she's a bitch and he, she terrorized him. He's going to kill Mother Superior and then, boom, he gets shot by the police chief that we he got introduced to three minutes ago. That's it. The end. What did I miss? so much that wasn't relevant (laughs) because you're right. It's just, it's such a mishmash of strange introductions of things. I mean, you talk about, uh, and just so many missed opportunities when he leaves the toy store with just 20 minutes left or 15 minutes left or whatever, whatever. Again, he goes to that house and I'm thinking, okay, you know, there are going to be some, maybe some cool deaths here. This is a Christmas theme movie. Uh, so, you know, he's wrestling with that one girl uh, who also is topless and chooses to go out and look for the cat in like negative two degree temperatures in Utah. Topless. Right out yeah, in her front yard. You know, uh, <laughs> who cares if the neighbor sees me? Uh, so he's fighting with this topless girl uh, uh, in just this random house. We don't know who this is. The girl uh, is making love to some other teenager. I'm thinking in the back of my mind, oh, is that 
maybe somehow like Billy's like little brother, the baby who survived the crash, who was also at the orphanage with him. We haven't heard him yet. I'm sure they're going to tie up that loose end. Nope. This was just two random teenagers. So he's wrestling around with this girl. He's got the ax in his hand. Doesn't use the ax to kill either the, the, uh, the teenage girl or the teenage guy, the teenage girl. He lifts her up with his superhero strength. I'm thinking, okay, great. He's going to impale her on like the star on top of the Christmas tree or do something Christmassy to tie in with the theme. Nope. Instead he put, presses her against uh, deer antlers and has her impaled and just hanging from the the uh, the wall by deer antlers. And the guy, uh, again, rather than using his axe, just throws the guy out the window and kills him that way. Then right. we're introduced to those, and this is what's so baffling. Then we go from those two random teenagers to two other random teenagers that are sledding. They're nerds but they're only on screen for like 30 minutes as then two other teenagers, bully teenagers show up and steal their sleds. The nerdy teenagers then run off and the two bully teenagers start sledding. And like Jason said, one gets his head cut off by, uh, by uh, Billy crazy Santa. But I'm like, why introduce the two nerdy teenagers and then introduce the two bully teen. Like, why not just cut right to the two bully teenagers? They're sledding. Make them drunk or something. You know, you don't like it's like, oh, no, we have to establish these characters who are going to be in the film for only like 30 seconds as bullies who deserve to get killed and punished. So let's introduce another set of nerdy teenagers that they can bully for about four seconds. And it's just so bizarre and strange. And then, yeah, you're you're right. When <laughs> when uh, when we then cut to the orphanage and we know that Billy's on his way there, there's a police officer officer kills father o'brien in cold blood in front of all the children and yep. uh, father o'brien of course as we talked about before was dressed up as santa claus but then it's broad daylight it's like early morning this orphanage as jason said before is literally in the middle of nowhere so it's just giant open fields and this police officer is like all right all right get get the kids inside keep them safe i'm gonna patrol the perimeter and they're trying to make it like this really suspenseful moment with him walking around outside the, uh, the, uh, the building and everything, but there's like nothing for miles and it's broad daylight. So it's not scary. At least put that at nighttime or something where he can't see more than three feet in front of him. But when he can clearly see that there's no one there, it loses the suspense. And I think yeah, it, he can't see the guy in a red suit in the middle of the snow, right? In literally in the middle of nowhere. And what also frustrated me, too, was that you see Billy's face the entire time. It's not like he's wearing the beard, like, actually over no. his face. It's just, like, under his chin. It's like people wear masks these days. They right. wear it under their neck. Right. Yeah. Right. It's so ridiculous because, all right, the, the killer has been revealed. We know it's Billy. But now in these last, you know, 20 minutes or so, when Billy is, is stalking his prey, they'll cut to, like, an image of his boot or an image of his leather belt as Santa or an image of his cuff. And it's like, that's not how storytelling works. You introduce the monster with those little glimpses. And then finally the big reveal, it doesn't work in the opposite where you reveal Billy right. in his entirety and then start showing little bits of his costume to try to make it seem scary. And yes, Jason, I think the thing that was most ridiculous to me, these little children have just seen uh, Father O'Brien get murdered as dressed as Santa. And they didn't know it was Father O'Brien, the little kids. They just saw Santa get murdered by the police in their front yard in broad daylight. 
And then three or four minutes later, Billy dressed as Santa shows up at the door. And just like you said, one of the boys lets him in and all the kids stand up and are like, oh, wow, it's Santa. Look, it's Santa. And of course, Mother Superior is like, no, that's not Santa. But it's like these kids maybe like seven minutes ago saw another Santa brutally murdered. Right, and now right. there's a second Shot Santa walking in and they just totally forget about that. Like it's Santa. And it's so cheesy the way that this film ends. You're right. He's about to strike down mother superior with an ax and then uh, is shot through the back. And as he's dying. Oh, and this is where he went from punish, punish, that had been his saying all along until the final two deaths, which were the police officer that he kills out by the shed or whatever that is. Uh, and then uh, and then Mother Ter- uh, Mother Superior, it's now naughty, naughty, naughty. So it's like, make up your mind. What is your killer slogan? And uh, he gets shot. And then in his dying breaths, he looks at the children and is like, oh, you're safe now, children. Santa Claus is gone. And it just ends although one of the boys uh uh again i think maybe they're hinting at a future film no that was his brother yeah oh was that his brother that was his brother okay i well they could because mother superior points out that um when she asked for like hey go like go put on the music the the holiday music or something um she goes oh he's so much nicer so much more helpful than his brother billy was Oh, see, I did not hear that. Okay, well, good. So that's one less loose thread. There are about 372 others that still remain. But I was like, yeah, what's going to happen with with the little brother? And so, yes, obviously, Billy's uh, lying dead. Uh, His axe is on the ground at the little boy's feet. And the little boy looks up at Mother Superior. And he now says, naughty, naughty, pointing at her. And so the end. And I believe that is a synopsis of Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Two, where the now the little brother becomes the uh, the maniac. Yes, I I quickly glanced uh, on Wikipedia. Silent Night, Deadly Night Two is is that exact story. Silent Night, Deadly Night Three is the killer. I'm not sure if it's still Billy's younger brother or someone else, but a Santa Claus killer uh, is following a girl uh, to a Christmas party, and the girl has psychic powers. Silent Night, Deadly Night 4 is about a reporter investigating witches making Christmas sacrifices. So a total departure now from Santa Claus murders. Uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night 5 is about an evil toy maker. Uh, and then they That's did- the one I wanted to see, by the way, was the evil toy maker one. I, I almost tried. I tried to watch it last night, but I'm like... I I didn't have it in me. Well, I was going to say, we might have now, if this is a popular podcast, uh, the one that we're about to drop here about Silent Night, Deadly Night, as popular as our Halloween ones, maybe we have our next five years of Christmas (laughs) podcast planned out. I don't think I have it in me, Tom. (laughs) I don't know if I could do it with these movies. These are just, these are bad. There's nothing good about them. Yeah, (laughs) no. And, you know, they did the reboot in uh, 2012, with uh, Jamie King and Malcolm McDowell, probably because they saw Malcolm McDowell in the horrible Rob Zombie Halloween movies and were like, this guy will do anything. (sighs) So they got him for that. And now they're doing the new reboot in 2022. But Jason, as I think I said in uh, our first recording together, I would much rather than having a remake of this film, I would much rather have like a behind-the-scenes documentary because this is 
an interesting film, but for all the wrong reasons. We talked about the the musical composition. We talked about getting banned and, you know, being pulled from theaters, uh, making more money than Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, it spawned uh, in, in the first 10 days against Nightmare on Elm Street. It spawned seven different films. I looked online. There are all these like special edition DVD releases. And like this is a movie that I think it would be a fascinating Rather than remaking it for a third time, I would love like a behind the scenes, like movies that made us, although this does not deserve that title because I don't think this movie made anyone. Um, But, you know, just it's it's such a fascinating train wreck of a movie. I would love to know more about the behind the scenes decisions and how, uh, yeah, how this franchise grew. And uh, yeah, thank you, my friend, for introducing me finally after all these years to Silent Night, Deadly Night. (laughs) well with that (laughs) uh yeah this movie was terrible uh i am i am dumber uh for watching it and uh it was it was really really poor uh not nothing nothing redeemable other than you know the kid who knocked out santa i gotta admit that was pretty funny I, (laughs) I, i i enjoyed that the montage i see where you're coming from i i I enjoy a good montage, and especially when it's as cheesy as the one that was in this film. Yes. Um, my only recommendation would be, if anybody wants to see a film that's going to piss them off a lot, I would h- highly recommend it. It was just, it sucked. It sucked. And I've now watched it twice, by the way. I've watched it twice. Oh, I've gosh. seen this movie two times. So Why do you go. put yourself through that? It's uh, it's for my craft, you know. <laughs> uh it's 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 how important this show is to me and um yeah so look uh aside from that uh are you uh are you all set for uh for for christmas you gonna dress up as santa and go on a murdering rampage i or? think so i think so i've decided yeah this year i'm gonna celebrate in silent night deadly night fashion and <laughs> no no you know finally things have been so crazy for me i'm finally uh just starting to it's like dawning on me oh yeah christmas is like just a few days away right now. And it's like, Oh, I've got more shopping to do. I've got more wrapping to do. I've got year end things at work to button up and, and I got to cook this and prepare that. And so this is a very nice departure and a nice kind of a way to step away from all the craziness of the season uh, to enjoy time with a good friend reviewing a not so good. movie. (laughs) (laughs) How about you? You're ready for the holidays, Jason. I am ready, man. I am in. I am in vacation mode. Uh, yeah, I'm. I don't do any. I don't do anything until the. Uh, well, anything professional until the third of January. That's when it starts back up for me. Uh, shopping's done. Uh, wrapping is not. Uh, but there's no more gifts to be to be done. There's everything is everything that's got is got. So um, sounds I like have, I don't have that to worry about. Sounds like you made the nice list then, and you don't have to worry about being naughty, naughty, or being punished, punished. Well, can I just, uh, if nothing else, I just want to be on the warm side of the door, dude. I'm kidding you. I'm. I just looked for that soundtrack on iTunes, and it doesn't exist. So, warm side of the door is on Spotify and ebay ebay is where you want to go if you want to find the soundtrack i don't even know if it made it beyond the original uh record uh that was released i don't know if that ever made it to cassette or cd or mp3 but on ebay the soundtrack is there might be worth it well i'm looking right now i can't i can't find any of this on itunes just saying i can't (laughs) 
I can't find any iTunes is missing out on on dozens and dozens of dollars. Yeah, I hear you. I I I get it. I mean, I'm just seeing nothing. Uh, All right, buddy. Well, look, I hope you have a Merry Christmas. I hope you don't have any Silent Night, Deadly Night issues in your your personal life as you celebrate. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for taking the time. This is this is the last show of 2021. Wow. I mean, talking about doing going any out more on a high this note. year. This is it. Yeah, we're oh, we're going on a high note. All right. <laughs> uh yeah, yeah. This will be the last one of 2021. I am I am taking a break and uh, I'm gonna enjoy the the holidays and the lights and the trees and the and the eggnog and the and the whatever. Yeah, whatever. Good for you, <laughs> my know. friend. You've Good earned stuff. it. It's been quite a year. All right, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you ever decide to work on a top secret, uh, super secret project, uh, let me know, will you? I'll, uh, maybe I'll work on it with you. <laughs> I can speak from uh, from from uh, <laughs> experience. Jason is someone you want on your team for a super top secret project, for sure. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, uh, thanks again, and uh, have a Merry Christmas. And uh, everyone out there, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Uh, whatever holiday you you celebrate, enjoy it. And if you don't celebrate, well, then don't call me because that sounds like a real bummer. It's celebrated at the Utah Mental Hospital. Oh God, the <laughs> the Utah Orphanage. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, have a good one. Uh, see you in twenty twenty two.